0: You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. Welcome back to Locked On MLB Prospects, your only daily podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Leighton. I'm a minor league play-by-play broadcaster, as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode... We are going to be talking about some of the rookies who have stood out so far in this season, albeit it is very early. And I'm going to just highlight the guys that I think, even though it's a small sample size, are worth following. I'm not saying that these guys are going to win Rookie of the Year, but I am saying that these guys could be some intriguing and up and coming type of players that have been very under the radar. And the reason why I wanted to do this segment, and I'll talk about some of the bigger name guys too, but It's because we didn't have the minor league season last year. So there are a lot of guys that came back from injury like Garrett Whitlock, who I will talk about with the Red Sox and some other guys that have just not really been up in the forefront of our attention because there was no minor league season. So, you know, you don't really know what's happening at the alternate training site. Some of these guys weren't even at the alternate training site, still rehabbing. And there's just such a murky situation where you just don't really know Either the state of where a player is at in terms of their return, because obviously, if there's a season, they would just return to the minor leagues and start pitching. When there's no season, they might be throwing bullpens. You might hear some reports here and there, but it's just too hard to keep up with everything. So, I wanted to talk about some of those guys. I'll talk about some of the bigger name guys that have stood out and impressed. Of course, I had the previous episode, which was on Akil Badu and Yerman Mercedes. And after that episode, Akil Badu hit a walk-off again. And I mean, that guy is just locked in right now. And Yerman Mercedes earlier today, as I record this in the late evening, he hit a ball, I think like 485 feet. So these guys are just crazy. But the one thing I did want to say with Mercedes, I know I mentioned him a lot in the last podcast, but... One of the old uh, clips I played where I was talking about the power and how I thought it was bizarre that MLB Pipeline slapped 45 grade power on him and I was thinking more so 55 to 60 grade power, that's what I had seen with him and what's crazy is he hits a 485 foot home run today and again I don't think anybody with 45 grade power is hitting one 485 feet, I know you got the big league baseballs and all that good stuff but that is a freaking tank. Nobody with 45 grade power is capable of that, like just nobody. So that is a testament to the fact that this guy does have 25-30 home run pop. But the thing with Mercedes is, is he's going to be geared up more to make contact very often and hit for a high average. So if he wanted to sell out and hit more home runs and, you know, even with two strikes, be more aggressive, he could easily break 30 without a problem. It's going to really depend on how many home runs he hits early in the count because of his approach. But I think that he's going to hit more than 20 home runs with ease, probably push towards 30 regardless uh, if he gets enough at bats this year. But that's enough on Mercedes. Let's talk about some of the other guys. I'll start with a bigger name and then I'll go into more of the unsung guys. And let's start with Jonathan India. Jonathan India has been unbelievable. And I had mentioned, you know, in the past too, that's a guy that I've been talking about as an underrated candidate, you know, to be more productive than I think a lot of people were making him out to be. And the thing with India is I still don't think he has the power to be a third baseman. Like, he can play third base, no problem. And, you know, if you need him to play third, that's fine. But I always look at third as a You know, premium power position. And even though I really like the adjustments that Indy has made at the plate, and I think he's a really solid and long term above average big league hitter, I don't think that there is a lot of power in that tank for him. You know, he did put up some decent power numbers in college, but not until the end of his collegiate career. I don't really see big time power from India, but he's still going to be able to get his home runs in Cincinnati, which is a hitter's park. And since he's a doubles guy, gap to gap guy, he's going to sneak plenty of balls out of there. I still think he hits 10 to 15 home runs, but what's been most impressive is his consistent approach. Now his comfort hitting to all fields and also his ability to go pole side more frequently too. I think he's always been pretty solid at hitting to all fields, But now we're seeing him pull the ball with a bit more authority. He looks much more comfortable at the plate. And he's showing more athleticism than I think a lot of people were expecting from him. He's in the top 15 percentile for uh, sprint speed, which not a lot of people would have expected from Jonathan India. And again, kind of transitions what we're looking at here with this guy. I think he's more of a second baseman and a quality, high contact guy, good athlete that's going to play solid second base. The defense is still a work in progress as he was playing third base the majority of his baseball career shortstop when he was in high school. So I think he's not going to have much problem transitioning to second base. But at the major league level, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of a learning curve and he's still going through that. But he's going to be just fine at second base and be a very solid second baseman there. He's going to be able to make spot starts at third. He can move around, which is valuable. And I still think he has the speed to potentially play an outfield spot if they really wanted him to do that. But second base seems like it could be a really good long-term home for him. It's where he fits in with the Reds right now. And long-term, I think that's where he fits in the best because it takes pressure off of the power outlook of his bat. He's not a high strikeout guy. He's going to put the ball in play. He's got above average speed and he makes a lot of contact. I like Jonathan India as a really high floor type of option here for the Reds and they have a big leaguer that's not going anywhere and there's value in that. I had said that when we were talking about the top third baseman prospects and at that time I wasn't really giving up on him sticking at third. I did think that you know there's a high floor with his offensive production because even though he's not hitting for a ton of power and wasn't hitting for a ton of power. He was walking a good amount, didn't strike out a lot, made a decent amount of contact and there was just a high floor value there and that's exactly what we're seeing here with India. He's hitting 476 right now. Like Obviously, he's not going to hit 400 this year but there's a legitimate chance he sits in the high two, 200s or even forts with 300 by the end of the year because of the fact that he's, he's in a good spot in this lineup. This lineup's been looking very good and he's starting to figure himself out as who he is as a hitter. He's not going to swing for the fences. He's going to make contact drive the ball to all fields. He's more comfortable, like I said, going pull side. And he's letting his speed be a part of the game too. He's really a low-key, solid runner. And I just am very happy to see Jonathan India at least transition into a better, more productive major league version of himself. Because, you know, if he was just one of those prospects that was just sold out on being a third baseman power hitter, he would not be succeeding right now. He wouldn't even be at the major league level. I think he started to realize, okay, I don't have that plus plus power that many of my other peers and other third basemen in the minor leagues have and that's okay. I can still be a good major leaguer. Let me, you know, reevaluate what my strengths are and he barrels baseballs up. That's what he does. He barrels them up and he's doing a good job and I think he's going to stick around this year and have a really good season. Again, not expecting him to hit 476. He's 10 for 21 to start the year with 10 driven in but he's going to make a lot of contact. He's going to be a tough guy to strike out and that's all news news for the Reds is they need guys like that, especially when you have the Nick Senzels that haven't really panned out so far. Obviously, Trammell wasn't what they had hoped when he was with the Reds and he was part of a trade package to send him out of town. And then the rest of their system, as it stands now, is a bunch of dudes, especially bats wise, that are crazy far off. Besides Jose Garcia, you know, you look at the rest of the system. Most of these guys are pretty far away from making their big league debuts. You look at the more exciting prospects like Reese Hines or Michael Ciani or even Austin Hendrick, who was just drafted. All of those guys are pretty far away. Tyler Callahan. All not going to be in the big leagues, probably at the very least for the next two years. So, when you consider that most of those bats are not coming up anytime soon, it's good to have a high floor guy that you know is definitely going to be able to contribute. To your Major League Ball Club right now and the Reds have a potential winner right now I'm not saying Major League winner but they've got a good enough ball club between Luis Castillo between Sonny Gray and then a sneaky solid lineup with Nick Castellanos looking like an MVP candidate to start the season and also stirring the pot quite a bit Mike Moustakis has looked really strong this year you're hoping Sanzel is going to finally figure it out and break out this year Stevenson is off to a good start behind the dish Joey Vado is Joey Vado. I think he's going to bounce back to a decent Degree this year. So, this is a team that really needed that one other guy and a young player that they can count on. And India is exactly that guy. And before the season, I gave him out as my sleeper pick for Rookie of the Year. He was plus 4,000 at the odds I was looking at. I haven't seen updated Rookie of the Year odds just yet. But unfortunately, it's a lot more open in the NL now that we have the injury to keep Hayes. We don't know exactly what the timeline is on his return. Sixto Sanchez is out for a decent amount of time as well with some shoulder inflammation. That was another favorite. And I would still say that Dylan Carlson and Ian Anderson are the favorites. But if either of those guys falter... India is going to be there with solid numbers and will be in the consideration. The home runs are going to be the question. How much power is he going to be able to hit for? I don't think that that's going to be a huge part of his game, but if he can get into 15 home runs, that would be incredibly productive for him because I think he's going to walk a lot. I think he's going to make a lot of contact and the speed is still a sneaky part of his game. So I'm excited to see India this year and I am a believer in what we've seen from him. Not at a 500 batting average level, but I am a believer in him being a very solid above-average regular that will continue to get better at second base and eventually be an above-average defender, which is just a great added bonus as well. I'm going to talk about some of the more underrated and low-key guys in just a moment here. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bars are the best-tasting protein bar on the market, and there are so many flavors to choose from, 18 to be exact. Some of my favorite are Caramel Brownie, Cookies and Cream. You even got Apple Almond Crisp. And the amazing thing about Built Bars is they are all low in sugar, low in fat, low in carbs, high in fiber, and high in protein. What else would you want? And they're all covered in chocolate, easy to chew, they're delicious, and they are great, especially if you're like me and you miss meals and you gotta eat something quick on the go. They fill me up without making me feel disgusting and full of sugar and you know full of something that just made me feel like I did not give myself any nutritional value. Once you have a Built Bar, it's pretty difficult to go back to any other protein bar, especially because they keep you on your toes with all the different flavors that you can choose from. You'll never get sick of them. And if you go to builtbar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, one five, you will get fifteen percent off your next order at builtbar.com and a free cooler while supplies last. That's builtbar.com promo code locked 15 for fifteen percent off your next order. So the guy I wanted to start with here is somebody that's looking like a legitimate big league closer. And I know he's only had two saves so far this season. He's only pitched two innings, but the uptick in stuff and quality of stuff is just too much to note right now. And you may know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Julian Merriweather of the Blue Jays. And this guy's stuff just keeps getting better and better. Every time we see him, though there is Large intervals, oftentimes, between when we see him because injuries have been a huge issue for Merriweather. He missed a lot of time, obviously, with Tommy John surgery, missed all of 2018 with that Tommy John surgery, then returned in 2019, only through six minor league innings before he had another arm issue. Then he comes back, pitches his way into the big leagues and goes down with elbow tendinitis. So there's a lot of concern with his health long term really the big question for Merriweather is just whether he'll be able to stay on the field. Because I think now, as we look at him, he was a starter for the vast majority of his professional career up until recently, as the arm issues became more and more frequent for him. And it just seemed like a move to the bullpen was somewhat inevitable. He will probably serve as a swingman role at times, unless he really carves out this closer role, where I think that's where he'll thrive. And when you look at the sheer stuff, even though he's only thrown two innings, he saw a big bump last year when he made that move to the bullpen in terms of his velocity and the quality of stuff. And as he comes back this year, you've seen even more of a bump in the quality of stuff. And Fangraphs pointed out some of the most electric fastballs in baseball right now, which would be Garrett Cole, Michael Kopic, and Jacob DeGrom. And in order, Garrett Cole averages about 96.8 miles per hour on the fastball with a spin rate of 2560. Michael Kopik averages 96.9 on the fastball with a spin rate of 2560, which is pretty wild. They have exactly the same fastball, essentially. And then Jacob deGrom, who's just on a different planet, 99.1 miles per hour on the fastball, which is crazy. This guy throws harder every single year and a spin rate of 2482. Those are three of the most prolific Fastball throwers in baseball and in baseball history, really, that, that we've seen. They are just ridiculous. And we talked about Michael Kopik in the last episode and about just how special this guy has looked. As for Meriwether's average fastball velocity, 98.8, which is only behind Jacob deGrom, of the players I just mentioned, spin rate of 2466. While Merriweather's only thrown 14 fastballs for us to measure, and the other guys have thrown all more than 40, Cole's thrown 84, deGrom's thrown 59, and Kopech's thrown 45, Merriweather has never really shown that kind of velo, so there's definitely reason to believe that the stuff is just getting better as we often see with guys who have recovered from Tommy John, they end up coming back stronger and a lot of times throwing harder. For Merweather, I'm sure a big part of the focus on his recovery was to strengthen all of the surrounding areas of his arm, his shoulder, and the rest of his body to be able to protect that arm and as a result, he saw a big jump in velocity because he gained strength and also moving from the starting rotation into a bullpen roll. He's able to go a little bit more effort and just run it up on the gun and it's been pretty fun to watch. The stuff is just legit and through those two saves, he's punched out five. Nobody has reached base against this guy. I know it's only six batters faced, but he looked really good last year with this stuff and then comes back this this year with even better stuff. The wild thing about Meriwether is he was fighting for a roster spot even this year because Kirby Yates was acquired by the Blue Jays to close ballgames down. Yates went down with a pretty significant injury and they had a gaping hole. In Their bullpen as they didn't really have a true back-end guy they could rely on so after fighting for a roster spot now Merriweather is leaned on as their closer most of the time here They might go closer by committee But why would you go to anybody else right now after those first two outings that you saw from Merriweather? So the fact that he's healthy the fact that his stuff keeps getting better and the fact that he is playing up into a closer role where his swing and miss stuff is just ridiculous. I mean, you're seeing him just blow it by guys. The slider looks crazy sharp as well. And what's wild about Meriwether is he's 29 years old. So even though the guy doesn't have a ton of big league experience, he's been around the block and he's played baseball long enough now that the mental side of closing, he's not your typical rookie. I'll just say that he's been through a lot of adversity. He's a former starter and he's coming into his own in a new role. I could see him being a dark horse too, potentially, for a Rookie of the Year at least vote share. We saw Devin Williams do it with the insane numbers he put up last year. If Meriwether turns into a legitimate closer, which... He's flashing the ability to do it's more health dependent, in my opinion. Then he could be a guy that gets some rookie of the year votes. It's going to be hard to take down Randy Arozarena as he is just still an offensive machine. And even if he doesn't match his playoff numbers, he's pretty much a shoe in to hit 285 and put up some pretty solid power numbers and steal some bags. Albeit he plays miserable defense. Did you see the end of that ball game between the Rays and the Red Sox? It was. An inside-out swing from J.D., so I know that ball's slicing a little bit, but he struggled with it multiple times, just got all turned around twice in that game, took terrible routes to the ball, and ended up costing the Rays that game against the Red Sox, and the defense is going to be a liability for Randy Rosarena. There, there's no way around that. But, you know, if you put up good numbers offensively, you're going to have a good shot at winning rookie of the year. Defense doesn't normally hold guys back as much with that award than some of the others. But you never know. There's some swing and miss in a Rosarena's game. I think that he's going to struggle at times this year as pitchers try to take advantage of that, make him expand the zone. And there could be a wide open race in the AL rookie of the year voting As well. It would be pretty wild for a 29 year old to to make it happen. Obviously, I'm getting way ahead of myself with Meriwether, but if he hangs in as the closer, there's a chance that he could be in that conversation. The fact that his fastball is as electric as we've seen it, he gets crazy amount of swings and misses on it. And the slider is firmer, sharper with later bite. That two pitch combination is going to be really, really tough to hit from this guy. And that is a guy that's definitely worth a follow as we move on through the season. And we see how the Jays decide to use him. The cool thing too, is a former starter, he does mix in the changeup from time to time as well, which just makes that fastball play up a, even more. And as a closer, he doesn't need to throw the change up that frequently, but it is a good little change of eye level change of velo, mix in a third velocity there and make that fastball go from 99 looking like to 101-102 after those changes of speeds and change of eye level, that would be another just cool wrinkle to him that not a lot of closers have. He's bounced around a little bit, was initially drafted by the Indians, then was traded over from Cleveland to Toronto in that Josh Donaldson trade. And at the time, the hope was that he would remain a starter at this point with the struggles with his health. The Jays will undoubtedly take him as a solid bullpen arm and a back end bullpen arm as he has shown so far this year. So, a great silver lining so far. Let's hope he can stay healthy. I'm going to talk about another underrated late bloomer type of guy, Rule 5 draft pick, actually, that has impressed me. Small sample size, but I like what I've seen in the uptick and stuff from him as well. And then run over some of the other rookies so far this season, going through just some quick bullets on each of those guys and how they've looked through the first week of the season, acknowledging the small sample size, but still just a quick little state of the rookies, as I like to call it. But before I get to that, a message from another one of our sponsors, betonline.ag, which is the best place and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football might be over, and now March Madness is over, but we've got NBA heading into the playoffs. We've got NHL heading towards the trade deadline and soon the postseason. Baseball is well underway as well, but BetOnline even covers award shows, TV reality TV they have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine bet online has you covered for all the news scores and odds and it's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and if you use the promo code locked on you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit that's promo code locked on one word locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your deposit Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So let's jump into a Rule 5 guy, and you might not be that excited about a Rule 5 guy, but this could be another interesting bullpen arm. Garrett Whitlock of the Red Sox has looked really solid, not only through just the first outing, where he went three and a third in relief and punched out five without giving up a run, but he also looked really strong in spring training. I watched some of the video and dug up some old video of him from spring training, and nine innings, eight hits, only gave up one earned run and punched out 12. This stuff just flat out looks better than it had in the past. And the fact that he was a rule five selection from the Yankees to the Red Sox, there's got to be a little bit of vengeance in there. I'm sure it would just be such a great and fun story for a rule five guy taken from the Yankees over to the Red Sox, just balling out and ending up being a solid piece for them. With how much the Red Sox need arms right now, I like this addition through the Rule 5 draft, and he can be a swingman type of pitcher as well. He is more than comfortable making starts. He made a ton of starts in 2019, actually, in AA for Trenton, where with the Yankees, He pitched to a 3.07 ERA in 70 innings. He only punched out 57 at that point, but he was able to keep the runs in check quite obviously. He doesn't walk a lot of guys, only 18 walks in 70 innings. So just fills up the strike zone, great command, and just is able to get a lot of weak contact. The guy to me has shown enough to be a reliable back end of the rotation arm or at worst, a swing man that can go long middle relief, make spot starts when needed, and just be a solid middle relief guy out of the bullpen, worst case scenario, but his numbers as a starter throughout the minor leagues were really solid. The strikeout numbers were much higher through the lower levels, which is kind of typical of somebody that doesn't have Great stuff, but has very good command and is able to take advantage of the more inexperienced hitters by hitting their spots and then forcing them to expand the zone at times when it's best for them. You know, that's something that is just really how polished pitchers take advantage of guys at the lower levels. But with somebody like Whitlock now going to the bullpen at times, his stuff out of the bullpen has played up much more and that's what's been really telling for me in the minors he was more of a heavy fastball guy locate well of course as i mentioned but also just pitch down in the zone get guys to roll over and again taking advantage of those lower level hitters and more inexperienced hitters that are going to get themselves out he did a good job of doing that and his ground ball rates were routinely in the 50 to 55 percent range because of that heavy fastball What's been fascinating is out of the bullpen now, we've seen some more life on the fastball where he's able to throw it harder and get swings and misses in the upper parts of the zone as well, which is great to see from a reliever. Whitlock is also yet another pitcher that is coming off of Tommy John surgery where he missed all of 2020 and comes back with better stuff. He was more 92 to 93, and now we're seeing him out of the bullpen running it up to 94, 95 with ease and averaging 95 on that heavy fastball. He's hit 96, 97 even at times. And that's something we didn't really see as much from Garrett Whitlock, especially as a starter. So a good Little steal here with the fourth overall pick in the Rule 5 draft. The Red Sox obviously had some sort of intel there that even though he had not thrown in 2020, other than maybe the backfields or whatever it was, they wanted to take a chance on this guy. And it was just that much sweeter to take him from the Yankees. He's going to stick there. He's not going anywhere and that's the big thing with the Rule 5 draft is is this guy going to stick there and you know, are they going to be able to find that roster spot for him where they are going to be able to keep him because as you know, if you don't keep him on the 40 man or I mean on the active roster excuse me, then the other team which would be the Yankees would have the opportunity to buy him back at $50,000 and they don't have to keep him on the big league roster until the next Rule 5 draft. So for the Yankees that would have been a no-brainer to bring him back because I'm sure the Yankees didn't hate him. They just didn't really know where to put him at that point and he was coming back from injury, and the Yankees are pretty loaded in their bullpen. Whitlock's not going anywhere, especially when we're seeing this kind of electricity on his fastball. That has not been expected. He can really run it up to, I think, if he keeps just building up here, could get to a point where he's starting to run it up to 96, 97 more frequently. And I'm loving what we've seen from the swings and misses in the upper part of the zone in spring training and also in the short stint that we saw in the one outing of three innings where he looked really strong. The slider is a solid pitch that he doesn't lean on as much as the changeup, but I think are all viable pitches. And his three-pitch mix combined with his solid command make him already a candidate to be able to be a back end of the rotation arm and his stuff is now looking good enough to be a bullpen arm. This is a nice little diamond in the rough for the Red Sox and somebody that's going to help them immensely as the Red Sox have some problems right now pitching-wise and are hoping for a lot of guys to get healthy. Good to see Erod back and healthy today for the Red Sox, but Whitlock, a great insurance policy, a good baseball body too at 6'5", 190, and he's going to be a piece for them. I believe that they're going to lean on him pretty heavily and his responsibility is going to grow as the season goes on. So nice little find there by the Red Sox and just wanted to highlight him, still just 24 years old too, so a hell of a lot. Young than uh, Julian Mayweather, who we were just talking about, now already going on 30 years old. He might turn 30 before the season is over. When's the last time a 30-year-old has won Rookie of the Year? That would be a good question that could probably stump quite a lot of people, myself included. May have never happened. I don't even know. Maybe you know the answer to that. Tweet at me, at eight if you know the answer to that on Twitter, because I would love to know who the oldest guy is to win rookie of the year. I guess I could Google it after this. If I don't find it, I would love to uh, get the tweet from anybody who may know the answer to that question. Anyways, let's go to some of the bigger names and talk about some of the more exciting guys that uh, nothing against Garrett Whitlock and Julian Mayweather, but it's always more fun talking about the Casey Mises and the Garrett crochets. And Casey Mise did show some encouraging things in his last start. While it wasn't, The most dazzling start, it was solid enough. He went four innings, punched out four, gave up one run, walked a few. But the most encouraging thing by far was the velocity. And that was the big concern for me, as I'd mentioned before the season, was his health. Casey Mize is special when he's healthy. We know that. He's was one of the best college pitchers we've ever seen. The consensus number one overall pick in the draft just diced up the minor leagues until he started dealing with some arm injuries, some shoulder injuries, and shoulders are scary. And one of the first things that you see with shoulder injuries is the velo drop. And even last year, he had not fully regained his velo. The fastball averaged right around 93.7 miles per hour. The sinker right around the same at 93.6. Compared to now, where in this first start this season, and we'll see if he holds this velocity as we move forward, but averaged 96 on the fastball. And that is a great sign from Casey Mize because 93 was alarming that's not where he usually was and that's starting to that was starting to show some of the issues that he was having after he had that shoulder flare up in double a he started double a by throwing a no hitter and then had the arm issues and just never was quite the same again since then so to come back in this first start he did have some command issues here and there but so do a lot of veterans in their first start of the season the most important thing was that the velo was up 96 on the four seam, 95 on the sinker, just such encouraging stuff, 88 on the slider. If Mize holds those velocities as we move forward here, then we're gonna see a lot more of the older Casey Mize that we were expecting to see at the major league level. He will be more so of himself and reach that potential that we were expecting from him. He also was showing a willingness to throw the split finger a bit more, and it was looking pretty solid in his last outing as well. If the fastball is firmer, the split finger is going to work better, and it's just all around great news and great things to see. And I'm going to be watching Casey Mize. That's going to be the important thing. Is Can he maintain that velocity and how will that continue as the season goes on one thing on Garrett crochet? Because I find this kind of interesting now I know that the White Sox want to win right now. That's very clear They are going all in and trying to make the most of it and when crochet right now with his fastball is an elite lefty out of the bullpen We saw it last year. We're seeing it now three and a thirds innings already this year He's punched out five only given up one hit he throws gas, and as a reliever, he can dial it up to triple digits and just lean on the fastball. He'll mix in the slider here and there and make you look like an idiot because he will just throw it when you're least expecting it and you're geared up for a 100, and that's why he is just so miserable to face out of the bullpen. I love what we've seen from Garrett Crochet. Don't get me wrong. And a lot of pitchers can develop out of the bullpen, then eventually work their way into a starter's role. I just don't see how that's the case with Garrett Crochet, because he's never even pitched much as a starter, period. A short collegiate career where he was dealing with some injuries at times, and also was a late bloomer, and then doesn't pitch in the minor leagues last year because there's no season, goes straight to the big leagues, looks great out of the bullpen. And I was expecting going into this year, and maybe that was naive of me, that he would pitch in the minor leagues this year, because why wouldn't he? Right. Like, why wouldn't you try to get this guy some more experience building up a workload, going deeper into games, mixing in a third pitch, because that's the most value you're going to get out of him. I mean, imagine Garrett Crochet stuff as a starter. It's insane. It's like Michael Kopik. Kopik makes sense, though, right? Like You're working this guy back from injury. He already has shown more than enough in the minor leagues that he can be a starting pitcher and that he has what it takes. Crochet has very limited starters experience and you're just working him out of the bullpen. They're not going to send him down, are they? Like when the minor league season starts, are they going to say, okay, they're ready for you down there. Now you can go and back and just try to get your uh, starts in there. Like, I don't think that's happening. So are they just going to pitch this guy out of the bullpen in one inning stints, sometimes less, and just say eventually he's going to develop into a starter? Like, what's the plan here on Garrett Crochet? Am I missing something? I love that he's in the big leagues. I get it. Like, it's so cool to see him right away. And that's one of the things that sucks with the MLB draft is that you have to deal with the fact that you draft a guy. You're super excited about it, and then you never see him again for like three years. That's the crappy part about the draft, predominantly. But it's just baseball. You can't go from college, from high school, straight to the big leagues. It's just not how it works. Baseball's too hard. But the thing is, is I want to see Crochet develop as a starter. That's a story I'm undoubtedly following because I want to see this guy try to work up and go deep into ball games and get that third pitch going and eventually become an ace. He has the stuff he can be an ace. The command is the question. Out of the bullpen, the command hasn't been an issue. Would it be an issue if he's trying to mix in three pitches and going through a lineup through multiple times? Maybe I want to find out. And I love seeing Crochet like I said at the Major League level, but I want to see this guy make some starts. What's the White Sox plan here? What am I missing? That's something that has been very interesting to me and is undoubtedly going to be a story worth following as the White Sox try to balance the present with the future. Obviously, the present is weighing heavily, and I get that. And it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate Garrett Crochet and his development as a very unique and just a case that you don't see very often. I'm going to go through some talking points and kind of a rapid-fire bullet points on some rookies. And that'll be a teaser to the next episode because I'll talk about a lot of these rookies on the next episode and some of these bullet points that I'm hitting on here. Evan White has looked a bit stronger at the plate. And that's something that is very encouraging to see. And they're even experimenting with him in other positions. That's going to be interesting to see how he can hold his own at other spots. Andrew Vaughn, though the numbers aren't strong out of the gate in just 13 at-bats, I've been encouraged from what we've seen from him in the outfield. I just don't know if he's ready just yet. I like what we've seen. He's shown that he has the ability to potentially play a corner outfield spot, which helps him immensely with his just versatility after being a guy that seemed like he was doomed for first base. Maybe that's not totally the case, but at the same time, this is just yet another instance here where I know the Eloy Jimenez injury just threw in a wrench here, and there's some complications with the injuries that the White Sox are facing and what they want to do here, and Vaughn is very, very advanced. But even as a guy that's very, very advanced, is he ready for the show right now? I don't think so. I really don't think so. The numbers in the minors were not strong enough yet. He showed some good things through White Sox camp. And that's clearly why they felt confident enough to do this. But again, this is yet another example of the White Sox really pressing to win now, and that's fine but why are you going to press and try to force these prospects to make it work? Crochet makes a bit more sense because he can really hold a bullpen role right now. And you can see the value there. Andrew Vaughn. I'm not sure he's totally ready at the plate. I think that he's better than the stat line shows. Again, it's only 13 at bats, but even going into the season, I was very skeptical that he would be ready to go. And I thought the whole idea of having him start this year in the majors, I know that it was a little bit injury dependent, thought it was a bit aggressive. When we look at some of the other names, Ryan Mountcastle, I believe in the bat. He's off to a little bit of a slow start offensively. Don't really care about that. The defense, though, it's abysmal. It really is abysmal. He's probably just going to have to stick to first base. And it's kind of like what we were just talking about with Andrew Vaughn, where he's proven that maybe he doesn't need to stick to first base. Mountcastle, that guy might need to stick at first. And even there, he's not that great. But the Orioles have some things to sort out there, too. Ultimately, Mountcastle is a big part of the future. If they want to keep getting that guy, the reps in the outfield, then go for it. Just be ready to deal with the headache. Kind of like a Rosarena is giving the Rays a headache, but a Rosarena can't really play anywhere else. So you just have to deal with that headache. We'll see how the Mountcastle experiment in other positions goes. But for now, that's what they're going to do. On the flip side of things, Alejandro Kirk needs to be getting more at-bats and more starts. Kirk is big league ready right now. Obviously he's in the big leagues, but he's big league ready for nearly a full-time role. And Danny Jansen is not good. He's just objectively not good behind the dish. And he just should not be taking at bats from Kirk. If you let Kirk develop through this season, you might go through some growing pains. And I know the blue Jays are in win now mode, but it's not like Danny Jansen's good. You're better served getting Alejandro Kirk the reps and come middle of the season. He's going to be ready to go. He's going to be rolling. And his even, not even close to his ceiling, halfway to his ceiling, is better offensively and right there defensively with Danny Jansen. So I don't really get the only giving him seven at-bats to this point, only a start or two so far. Don't love it. And it's really unfortunate because that guy needs to be getting at-bats. On the NL side of things, Ha Kim. He's going to become a lot more important now for the Padres with the unfortunate injury to Fernando Tatis. We don't know how long he's going to be out, but that's going to be a very, very important thing for the Padres now. All of a sudden, he is a guy that they need. They're going to lean on him, and he's going to be very important for them. So that's going to be fun to watch. Geraldo Perdomo gets the call up to Arizona. I don't love Perdomo. I talked about that in the past. I just don't like his bat. And I really think that the prospect helium that he got was a little bit of groupthink and a little bit of people uh, piling on to what the... Diamondbacks were coming out and saying, you know, the Diamondbacks were saying, we are really impressed with Perdomo. And everyone's like, oh, really? They're impressed with Perdomo? Just kind of peddled that narrative. And there were some improvements there. Like the defense got a lot better. I think there were some improvements at the plate, but like we didn't see enough there to really say, okay, this guy's all of a sudden for sure a top 100 prospect. Like he's ahead of Noel V. Marte in just about every single top prospect list. And it blows my mind because Perdomo's hit tool is okay. He doesn't hit for a lot of power and he doesn't have Good speed. So what are you really getting there out of him? I just don't see much. And even though he's only had 10 at-bats, I'm just surprised that he's getting the call up this early. I just don't even think he's big league ready just yet, and I don't even know how good he's going to be in the long term. Pache, you know how I feel about Pache. I, I just don't think this guy can hit right now. I'm not saying he's doomed for his entire career, but Christian Pache is not ready for the major leagues. I don't know why the Braves are refusing to acknowledge that. I don't know why they're refusing to acknowledge that he can't hit way he hits and i've been saying this for a while now before he got called up last year before this season started i've been saying that pache is not going to be able to hit at the major league level and i don't like this like i don't like just knocking down guys and saying this guy's no good but like we need to be objective here right and we need to be able to look at this situation and be like this guy's not ready let him get ready pache is a freak of an athlete Different than Perdomo here, like Pache is a plus plus runner. He's one of the best defensive outfielders I've ever seen. So it's not like I don't like Pache as a person or something like that, but his hit tool is miserable. It's miserable because even though he has ridiculous bat speed, he's got really good pull side power. He has way too many moving parts. I've talked about this before. He's got way too much swing and miss. And he has just about every red flag to me that you can see in somebody's swing. And it manifests itself into the batted ball data as well. And the fact that he is hitting 125 through his first 16 at-bats and he struck out 50% of the time, that's not a surprise to me at all. I really don't see this guy being able to hit even remotely close to his weight at the major league level. If you give this guy 100 at-bats, he's going to be hitting 125 even then. And it's just not fair to put him through this. That's more so why I'm being harsh on this because they're doing the opposite of what Pache should be going through here. They're fully stunting his growth. This is just not good for Pache, mentally, for his swing, for everything. Just let that guy develop in the minor leagues and take his time. I know the Braves are in win-now mode too, but Pache's not helping you win, and you're not helping Pache's future. Let this guy develop in the minor leagues. Let's stop forcing the issue. Dylan Carlson, while the numbers are a bit deceiving, he's just four for 22, but three of those four hits are home runs, the pop that I'm seeing from Dylan Carlson is different. The ball's coming different off the bat this year. I want to see if he can hit frequently enough to be that well-rounded player that he's been throughout the minor leagues. But the power is playing up to a level that I really wasn't even expecting either. Just to the fact that I always thought he was going to hit 25 home runs, even push to 30, but I never thought that he would be hitting the ball this hard. The exit velos, the distance that he's getting on these balls, it gives me the optimism that he can clear 30 home runs pretty easily and maybe even be a 30-30 candidate down the line. That's how dynamic Dylan Carlson's starting to look. I need him to hit a bit more frequently. I need him to strike out a bit less. But, I mean, I have liked what I've seen power-wise. Let's see how the hit tool looks as we continue on through this season. Ryan Weathers has looked really good on the mound. Ian Anderson just continues to be Ian Anderson. And there are just so many areas I could talk about and a lot of encouraging things that I've seen that I will save for next episode. But also, some of those talking points I will carry into the next episode as well. Probably Christian Pache in my... Just desperate pleading to send that poor kid to the minor leagues and let him develop like a normal person instead of torturing him against these grown men that he is just not ready for. I'm going to touch on some of the bigger names and the top prospects and how they have looked and some of the players that aren't in the big league level yet and that we might see. Who will get called up this year that's gonna be another episode that i'll have coming up in the next couple days is who's gonna get called up next after the minor league season starts and how will they do you know how do i think some of these guys are gonna do and who do i think will be called up will be a fun little episode to do as well As you know, you can always ask me questions at armlatenate on Twitter and at LO underscore MLB prospects. I'm always happy to answer them or carry them over into the episode. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you to those who take the time to leave ratings as they help me immensely with visibility. And I really appreciate hearing your feedback. And I look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.